Hello and welcome to the Rookie Homesteader Podcast. My name is Ross Landry. On this podcast, I typically do one of two things. Sometimes I tell a story about how things are going, something that happened on the homestead or prior to when I bought land, things that were going on in my effort to educate myself about homesteading and small-scale farming. And then the other thing I do is sometimes I'll talk about a specific domain that I'm trying to learn. So like last week I was talking about forestry. Last summer, I did a couple episodes where I was talking about my SpaceX satellite and wiring up solar panels to large batteries. So sometimes I get a little more into the weeds, technically speaking. And this episode is going to be kind of one of those. I took a workshop last weekend with Akiva Silver of Twisted Tree Farm up in Spencer, New York, uh, which was a long drive. It was a six-hour drive each way, Um, but totally worth it because I learned a lot And I want to share some of the things I learned with my friends, Ed and Jeff, who are a couple of good friends that I exchange permaculture slash homesteading notes with. And I took some notes while I was at the workshop and I want to pass along some of those notes I took to, to those guys, but I figured, Hey, why don't I just record the notes as a podcast and maybe somebody else will get something out of it too. Okay, so before I jump into my notes from the workshop, I want to quickly recommend Akiva's book, Trees of Power. Uh, It's one of my favorite books I've ever read. It's a very pragmatic introduction to propagation techniques and specifically breaks down these 10 trees that Akiva chooses to highlight in the book as, as really useful, beautiful trees. So I love the book. Can't say enough good things about it. I actually mentioned that book and a few others in the very first episode of this podcast that I recorded. And since then, I've met two of the authors. I met Ben Falk, the author of Resilient Farm and Homestead. He taught the permaculture class, or he was one of the teachers, the permaculture class I took last summer. And now last weekend, I got to meet Akiva. So that's exciting just to meet people that I really admire and get to learn from them. It's kind of the perk of having a passion that's fairly locally oriented you know when you're into like new england permaculture homesteading it's relatively niche and and local so you can actually even the like famous leading figures in that um small part of the world are like relatively accessible you know it's not like trying to meet uh kanye west or something anyway I'm getting off track here. So (laughs) the point is the book's great. I recommend reading it. Um, And it's, it's going to cover that. That book covers a lot of things that I'm not going to talk about here. So just to be clear, if you need like a general introduction to plant propagation, this is not going to provide that for you, but I will just quickly breeze through like the basic propagation techniques just for, to kind of orient the listener a little bit if anyone's new, totally new to this. But again, you're, you're not going to get everything you need out of this podcast. So um, check out the book. Okay, so there's two basic branches of plant propagation, pun intended. There's seedlings, so growing plants from seeds, and then there's clones. There's a bunch of ways of making clones. So I'll, get, I'll break that apart a little bit, but seedlings is, is pretty self-explanatory. Um, 
I'll just mention what I think is interesting about seedlings is that the because they're unique genetically from their parents, their properties, like the characteristics of that plant could be anything you, you don't know. Um, so unfortunately, most of the time, the properties of the plants that we grow from seed are going to be less desirable than plants that come from a nursery that are cloned from like really well-known genetics for that plant. But the upshot is that every once in a while, you're going to get an amazing plant that actually is like, like nothing else in the world, literally. And, and then you can clone that and, and reproduce that desirable trait in the plant. So for example, you might get a berry bush that had less thorns or bigger berries or um, fruited earlier in the season or later in the season or whatever. There's like a lot of different characteristics you might be looking for, looking for in a plant. And that's, that's plant breeding, basically growing stuff from seed and then picking out the best ones and then cloning them or, or growing more out from seed, um, from those, those standouts. And that's how you can get better and better over time with a breeding program is you get the, you, you plant a bunch from seed, you pick the best one, and then you grow the seeds from that plant. That was the best. And then you pick the best of those and so on. Okay. So I think that's really cool. I definitely want to grow a lot of stuff from seed, but cloning plants is cool too, because again, you can take genetics from a plant that was really an exceptional plant and then just duplicate that. So you could take a raspberry bush that had less thorns and bigger fruit and started fruiting early in the season and then fruited again late in the season or whatever. And, and just make a bunch of them that were all just like that. And that's really productive if you're trying to crank out a lot of raspberries, for example. And then you might have a few different, that's called a cultivar, right? So you might have a few different cultivars or variety, same thing. Um, and maybe one starts fruiting really early in the season and one fruits late in the season. And that way you can sort of sustain your harvest uh, more consistently than if you just had all one type. So, so that's really exciting too. So I really want to do a combination of growing stuff from seed and cloning stuff. All right. So with that being said, I'll quickly mention the types of cloning, or at least the ones that I'm aware of. So there's cuttings, there's hardwood cuttings, softwood cuttings, root cuttings, and then there's grafting. So at the end of the day, you're always cutting off plant material from the existing plant and then trying to provide it with a root system, either by encouraging the cutting to grow its own roots, which is what you do with softwood or hardwood cuttings, or by grafting on roots. And then in the case of root cutting, you've already got the root and you're planting that and, and hoping that it will grow the top part of the plant after the fact. So I'm not going to talk too much about grafting. There's tons of good YouTube videos if you want to see the technique. Um, but I think I will just kind of explain why people do that. Um, and just in case anyone's curious and is totally new to this. So it goes back to what I was saying before about unique plants versus clones. The root stock, and there's two parts to the graft, to the grafted plant. There's the root stock and the scion. The scion wood is the let's call it a twig, the like twig that you cut off of the established cultivar or known variety, right? A, a plant that has really desirable qualities and was, was probably part of a breeding program at some point. 
the piece that you cut off of that known good plant is called the scion wood. And then the rootstock is a seedling that has who knows what qualities. And like I said, most of the time, it probably won't be as desirable as the cultivar. So the idea is that you grow the seedling and then you take those roots and you basically tape it on to the scion wood. It's now it's not as simple as just taping it on. I'm, I'm being overly simplistic here. But just to, like again, just to illustrate the concept for anyone who's new to it. That's that's kind of what you're doing. You're taking the a twig from a really tasty fruit tree, usually, or nut, and and taping it on to the roots of a plant of a tree that's compatible. Usually, usually the same species of plant, and um, and that way the you can get the same taste of the known variety um, and and duplicate it. Okay, so enough about that. What I learned more was about the softwood and hardwood cuttings, which is great because I'm really interested in cloning my currants and gooseberries and um, raspberries. So I, I wanted to learn more about cuttings. So going into this, I really only knew the basic concept of taking a cutting. So you cut off like a piece of that established plant, just like I was saying about cyan wood for grafts. Same idea with the the berry bush. You cut off a piece, but instead of grafting it onto a rootstock, with certain plants, you can actually just stick it into a growing medium, right? Like a potting mix, and it'll form its own roots. So these seem to always be berry bushes. A famous example of a plant that roots that cuttings root very easily is currants. Elderberries also are known to be very um, easy to root from cuttings. So the great thing about this, if you can pull it off, is that you don't have to grow these seedlings, cut off the tops, and then graft them. And like I was saying, it's an oversimplification to say you just tape them onto the cyan wood. In reality, you have to make a, a very specific type of cut on both the cyan wood and the rootstock. So it's a bit of work. And uh, when I was first learning about these different techniques and I heard that you could propagate a new plant by pit sticking a cutting into potting soil and just waiting and watering, I was like, man, that sounds amazing. And that really appealed to me and it still appeals to me. So that was really all I knew going into the workshop about cuttings, just that conceptually that it was possible. Um, I knew that these the plants I just mentioned were ones that were kind of easy to do. And I was like, all right, great. I'll just try to root those from cuttings and won't really worry about the other ones that are a little harder to get to root from cuttings until, you know, down the road in the future. But this workshop opportunity came up and I got to learn a little more of the tips and tricks for getting cuttings to root. And that's really what I wanted to share with Jeff and Ed and anyone else out there who's interested. So uh, I think now that is enough of kind of general introduction about plant propagation. And I want to get into sharing some of the neat little tips I learned from the workshop. Okay. So one of the first things I realized during the workshop is that softwood cuttings are always more likely to be successful than hardwood cuttings. Like for every plant, if you take a softwood cutting at the right time and do the right things with it, 
the success rate is going to be substantially higher than hardwood cuttings. So uh, in Trees of Power, Akiva talks about his success rate doing hardwood versus software cuttings for certain plants. But I kind of got the impression that like, certain plants were um, good for hardwood cuttings and certain plants, it was better to do softwood cuttings. But he made it clear during the workshop that no, any plant that you can uh, propagate from a hardwood cutting, you'll definitely also be able to do it with a softwood cutting. But the reverse is not true, that there be some plants that you can propagate with a softwood cutting, but you're not going to be able to do it from a hardwood cutting. So those ones that are really easy to clone with cuttings that I mentioned, elderberry and currants, those you can propagate from hardwood cuttings. So you could definitely also do them with softwood cuttings. But then if you look at plants that aren't as easy to, to do from, from, for, from cuttings in general, for example, gooseberry, I was surprised by this. Gooseberry does not take very well from cuttings. That surprised me because currants are, again, famous for, for that. And gooseberry and currants are so similar in so many ways. But it turns out uh, gooseberry is not a good candidate for hardwood cuttings. But you might be able to, to propagate it from softwood cuttings. So as it turns out, the best way to propagate gooseberry is from layering, which I didn't even talk about during the introduction. But I'll get into that because that was another really interesting takeaway from the workshop. Um, but for now, maybe I'll just stay focused on softwood cuttings for a minute and I'll come back to the idea of layering in a bit. Okay, so a quick note about softwood cuttings that I found really helpful is that he said June is generally a good time to take softwood cuttings. The rule of thumb is that you want the plant to have a little bit of firmness um, to the point where you can't bend it like 180 degrees. You know, if you can bend it over backwards to where it can touch itself and it doesn't crack, then it's probably still too young. And then if you start to bend it and it gives you enough resistance that if you think if you bent it all the way over into a pretzel that it would snap, then that's a good sign. So, so that sort of rule of thumb is helpful, but then also I appreciated him just explicitly saying like June is generally a good time to put that into context. He is in, I want to say zone five hardiness zone, give or take he's in, um, upstate New York. So if you're in a different hardiness zone, then you might want to move that either back a little bit or forward a bit, a little bit accordingly. So for example, I'm in Rhode Island, slightly warmer climate than Akiva. So I probably could take a softwood cutting like late May. Um, my friend Ed is in uh, northern New Hampshire. So he's in like zone three or four. And so he could probably take a cutting like the third or fourth week of June as opposed to the beginning of June. I don't know. I'm, I'm just totally guessing. But you get the idea. If you move further north, you'd probably take your cuttings a little bit later. And further south, you'd, you'd take it earlier. Okay, and then the next really important thing is that you've got to mist your softwood cuttings. So I, I actually read this in Trees of Power, and at that point I said, ah, oh, it sounds a little complicated, and I just sort of got turned off to the idea of doing softwood cuttings, and I think that was when I made the decision that I was just going to just try to do some cuttings of currants and elderberries so I could just stick them in the dirt and not have to deal with some kind of misting contraption. But two things changed my mind about that at the workshop. The first is that 
I learned sea berries are best cloned with softwood cuttings using a misting system. And I really want to get into sea berries. I'm currently stratifying some sea berry seeds in order to plant them out. Well, actually, I've sowed some sea berry seeds, not cold stratified. And then I've got more in the fridge that I'm getting cold to, to grow those out from seed. But I'd really like to learn how to clone sea berries. So again, I want to get that cool genetic diversity from growing out from seed. But I also have a couple cultivars. Um, one's called Orange Glow that I got at the workshop. I bought them off of Kiva. And I would love to be able to propagate those and make more of that variety. And yeah, it turns out taking softwood cuttings of your sea berry and then using a misting system is the most reliable way to do that. The other thing that changed my mind about misting systems is that I saw one in real life and it wasn't as complicated or intimidating as I imagined. So I think that often happens where the unknown can be intimidating. And then once you see it in real life, it's, it's not anymore. So I'll try to explain what I saw. It's really not that complicated. Don't be intimidated. It's a hose hooks up to some small diameter PVC pipe, call it half an inch, three quarter inch PVC pipe. And then there's connectors, which are called T's that connect the segments of PVC pipe. And on those T's, there's threads that you can screw in a nozzle. That's how the mist comes out, right? So the water is running through the PVC pipe. And then when it gets to that connector where the nozzle is, that's how it sprays out the mist. And then the other piece is just the control. So there's a valve that determines when the mist is coming, right? Because you're not constantly misting your cuttings. Um, actually, here's another example of a rule of thumb that's very specific that I appreciate that Akiva told us, which is you should be misting for 10 seconds every 10 minutes. And there's the typical disclaimer of like this, there's depends on a lot of factors and that's not true for every, in every situation, et cetera, et cetera. But I appreciate that he did say like, you know, generally it's something like that because at least then you're going to experiment and learn what, how to adjust that in different contexts, right? Depending on how hot it is or how well your potting mix drains or whatever, but at least it gives you a starting point. 10 minutes, every 10 minutes, you should mist your softwood cuttings for 10 seconds. So really, really helpful rule of thumb there. So that control valve, and now that sounds more complicated again, and I don't want you to have the same experience as me and think this sounds intimidating, but it's really just, it's just a timer, right? You can imagine a timer, much like the ones you'd use to turn Christmas lights on and off at certain times or, or any kind of lights. Um, it's just, it's just a timer. You, you set it for a certain time interval. There's two settings, right? There's how long do you want the mist to spray? And there's how much time in between mistings. So that's where you set your 10 seconds and your 10 minutes. And that controls the flow of water through your pipe to get to the nozzles. Oh, and then there's, there's one more thing. The, you do also want to put a drain on the end of that whole run of misters so that, um, you, when it's done, somehow this drain is designed in such a way that when the misting is done, it lets out the water that's in that pipe. So it doesn't drip on the plants. So 
there's a website that Akiva recommended called mrdrip.com. And I'll put that in the podcast show notes for reference. Um, not It's not like a marketing thing. N- neither I nor Akiva has any association with them. But he just said that's a good place to get s- supplies for a, a misting system. So I'm definitely going to check that out. I haven't yet. But I fully expect to set up a misting system in my backyard this summer. Okay, another note about softwood cuttings is that the best medium is sand. So I asked if sawdust would be a good substitute or, or an acceptable substitute because I think the, the reason he mentioned for wanting for using sand is that it drains really well and it doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it, which is helpful actually. So it sounds like a bad thing, right? But it's good because the cutting doesn't have a root system yet, so you really don't want it to be trying to grow. So with it being in the sand, it's not really trying to grow because there's no nutrients and that helps it better establish roots. So I asked about the sawdust and uh, he said he'd never tried that. So he wasn't sure, but I'm going to try because I have a ton of sawdust. I also have a lot of sand, so I guess I'm well covered in that department. Um, But you get the idea. Low fertility in your, your medium for your softwood cuttings is the goal. The best time to take a softwood cutting is first thing in the morning because the plant is more hydrated at that time of day. And finally, Hascap needs warm soil and cold top to root hardwood cuttings. So that's a very specific note, but anyone out there who's trying to root Hascap uh, from cuttings, warm soil and cold top. So this actually uh, brings me to another point about equipment. Same as misting systems, I was a little intimidated by trying to create heat maps or not even intimidated about that one, but just didn't really want to bother with it. But same as the propagating sea berries is motivating me to set up a misting system, I think propagating Hascap is probably going to be the motivator I need to set up a heat map. So interesting about the cold top, his explanation of that is that the... um, Ah, shoot, I forget. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, you guys. Um, but yeah, it's like you want the plant to feel like it's dormant, but then the heat the heat on the bottom encourages the roots to grow and the cold on top prevents the top from growing. And that's what you want, right? So th- I think that was the gist of his explanation. Okay, I think that is all my notes on softwood cuttings. As I said, that's what I, I took away the most from the workshop was in that arena, but I have a couple other notes on other subjects. So here they are in no particular order. Black locust trees can be propagated from root cuttings. You take them while the tree is dormant. Parafilm is the best grafting tape. It's spelled P-A-R-A-F-I-L-M. I'll put that in the show notes as well. He said, cut very short above the graft union. I know I didn't talk much about grafting, but that was just a note that I hadn't heard before. Graft while the moon is waxing. That's an interesting one. Akiva said he didn't used to believe in the connection between the moon's phase and the success of plants. But then I guess a friend said to him, "Um, do you believe in the tides? And that rhetorical argument changed his mind so makes sense to me if you know if the moon can influence the ocean uh, 
why wouldn't it influence the hydrology of plants, right? So graft while the moon is waxing. And then uh, I wrote down Akiva's favorite type of pruning shears. I'm not going to bother spelling that It's or trying to pronounce it even. It's a, well, I will. Why not? Okatsune. <laughs> so some Japanese company makes these great pruning shears, I guess. Um, and he said they're not even that expensive. They're like 30 bucks. So rather than spelling that out, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, I think I'll probably buy a pair of those. Oh, you know what? I actually forgot one thing about the softwood cuttings. Um, shade is very important. They can't get too much sun because they don't have the root structure to support it yet. This is probably true of hardwood cuttings too, but I don't know. He was talking about softwood cuttings when this came up. So if you don't have a lot of natural shade, I think you would probably want to put up some kind of burlap type shade cloth. Um, I have a really shady area in my backyard that I think I'll do my misting system over there in the shade. Um, but yeah, make some shade if you don't have it. All right. And that is it. I am all out of notes from the workshop and that is great because it's 10 PM and I'm ready to go to bed. (laughs) So thanks for listening. I am working very hard to get my yurt platform built and I'm picking that up next Friday and then I'll be raising it the following day with a group of volunteers. So I will fill you all in on how that goes in a month or so, probably I'll do another episode. So wish me luck and I'll talk to you then. You know, I'm getting ready for bed and I just remembered I promised to talk about layering, propagation by layering, and I never did. But I'm sorry, you guys, I'm too tired. I really want to go to bed. So here's the deal. If anybody is interested in learning about propagation by layering, in particular, this seems to be a good strategy for gooseberry. That's one of the really um, critical notes that I took away from the workshop was that gooseberry is not great for propagating by cuttings, but is great for propagating via layering. And I have a couple of gooseberry plants and I definitely want to clone them. So yeah, that was of great interest to me. If it's of interest to you too, What I'll do is I'll record myself doing the layering technique on my own gooseberry and I'll post that on Instagram. So check out at rookie underscore homesteader if you want to see that video.